as the reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, I realise there's quite a lot of people called Jonathan involved in the service. We've got three of them. It's quite impressive. Any Eleanors? No, never mind. Uh, my name's Eleanor Jeans. I'm the associate vicar here. Um, and um, it's always interesting, isn't it, when you look at what passages that you're down to preach. And I don't know whether Jonathan's trying to tell me something, uh, but I seem to have had all the really familiar passages. So a few weeks ago, I preached on the feeding of the 5,000, and this evening, I've got the Good Samaritan. Um, I don't know what that's about, but I think it's probably just how it's happened. Um, anyway, let's pray. He'll give me a difficult... I should have not said anything. He said he's given me a difficult one next time. Oh, well. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you um, that you speak to us through your word. And uh, we ask that even though this, for many of us, will be a familiar passage, that you help us to see uh, more of who you are and um, how we can respond to that as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. For many of us, this will be a familiar passage, the feeding, not the feeding of the 5,000, that's what I did the other day, <laughs> the parable of the Good Samaritan. But the problem, of course, is when we know a passage really well, we can switch off, can't we, and think, oh, I know what they're going to say. That's it. I, I know this story. We did it in Sunday school. We've done it since. 
So I'm going to actually get you to do a little bit of work to begin with. I'm just going to ask you a question just for 20 seconds, that's it. I just want to get you just thinking about this slightly. When you hear the words, the Good Samaritan, what do you think of? Just a buzz, buzz within yourselves, not within yourselves, to one another, um, just for a moment or two. What do you think of when you hear the words, the Good Samaritan? Okay, I wasn't going to make you do that for very long. But it's really interesting when we start thinking about it, isn't it? Because actually, we'll all have different ideas in our heads, uh, but there'll probably be some similarities that we come out with. This is a really familiar passage, isn't it? It's used by loads of people to talk about how we should care for others. Uh, there's a sense of morality in it. But I wonder whether sometimes we miss the point because we think of it in that way only. Not, of course, that it's wrong <laughs> to care for one another. It's not that it's wrong to act in a, a thinking about this in a moral way. But there's more to this story than that. There's so much more. In fact, I could talk for a long time. I'm hoping I won't. Um, but um, we could talk for hours on this passage. Don't worry, we're not going to. It's interesting because if, if you look now, if you search in Google um, the number of times that uh, the Good Samaritan figure, the, that title appears, you find that um, apparently in, in Marvel's Daredevil, I've never watched it, but apparently he tells the story of the Good Samaritan in that. Did you know that Sylvester Stallone plays a superhero called Samaritan? Some people are nodding their heads, others are going, what? It's amazing. And then we've obviously got things like the Samaritans, or we've got the Samaritan's Purse, all really good organizations. Um, I've, talked, I've seen doctors talk about sort of Good Samaritan acts um, in, in helping a stranger in need. And generally that phrase, Good Samaritan, has become part of our language, hasn't it? In, in a positive way. And so here we have a story that Jesus tells about a Samaritan. But it's really important, maybe even more important in this case, to be aware of the context and the culture at the time as we look at this passage. We heard in that reading that Jonathan brought us that, that Jesus tells this story because a lawyer, someone who's an expert in the law, uh, wants to test Jesus. And he asks this question, teacher, what do, must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus helps him to see what the law says, that he should love the Lord with all his heart and mind and soul and strength and love his neighbor as himself, then it says something about what Jesus is going to go on to talk about. Interesting, actually, isn't it, that Jesus at that point speaks to the lawyer in a way that the lawyer is going to understand. He says, what does it say in the law? And that's a really important thing for us to think about, actually, when we're speaking to people about our faith. What might link us to them? What might be the thing that draws them in, that helps them to see uh, Jesus? But of course, the lawyer adds, doesn't he? He says, who is my neighbor? It's like he's trying to catch out Jesus. Because for the lawyer, his neighbors are his fellow Jews, not those from another nation. It would have been the way neighbors would have been thought of as those who were part of the people of Israel, or those grafted, those uh, foreigners who've moved 
into the people of Israel. And so that's where we get this reply of a story from Jesus, the parable of a good Samaritan, answering that question, who is my neighbor? And we know, don't we, that everybody needs good neighbors. There's a slight delay there, wasn't there? I'm sorry, I couldn't risk it. In case you're looking at, you're, some of you are looking at me going, what? Thanks, that'll do. Um, some of you are going, what was that? That was the old version of the theme tune to Neighbours. Yay, it's coming back in September. Uh, sorry. I'm not excited by that at all. I am, actually. We've got a couple of people from Melbourne in, in fact, this evening. Um, <laughs> but let's face it, what we need to remember here is that it's not the people we would expect who help the man in need. It's not the priest, it's not the Levite, and we'll think about them more in a moment. It's the Samaritan. But why is that such a surprise? Well, actually, it would have been more of a surprise than we can imagine. Because here's where the context and culture really comes in. Let's find out a little bit about the Samaritans. You can see there we've got Judah and Israel. And what we need to do is go back to uh, the days of the kings. After King Solomon uh, ruled over God's people, Israel's kings lead unwisely. And basically, what that leads to is the kingdoms being split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, as you can see on that map, each with its own king. Both kingdoms uh, were characterized by corruption and sin, even though they're warned many times by prophets sent by God. And so God warns them that they'll be overtaken by conquerors. And what we read in the Old Testament is that the northern kingdom fared pretty badly um, with a long line of wicked rulers. And it doesn't help them that the temple is in the southern kingdom in Jerusalem. Then the northern kingdom of Israel falls to the Assyrians. And many of the people of Israel are led off into exile in Assyria as captives but some of them remain in the land and they intermarry with those who were planted there really by the Assyrians. And those people, the ones that sort of uh, mix up between themselves, are the Samaritans. And what happens is that there's this great animosity that grows between, uh, the, people of it, between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Um, if you look it up and find out a little bit more, we find out that the Samaritans only really read the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and they worship on Mount Gerizim rather than in Jerusalem. But if we think about that, that sort of makes sense if they can't get to the temple in Jerusalem. But did you know there are still about a thousand Samaritans around um, living in the northern part, uh, in, in part of the northern part of the West Bank? And actually, they are uh, ones that are um, trying to help broke a peace, really, between Israel and Palestine, which is interesting in itself. So here's a map of what uh, Samaria would have looked like at the time of Jesus. You can see it's the blue bit in that middle section there. And if you look, you can see um, Jerusalem in Judea and Jericho just to the north of it, so in the south part there. And that's where our story that Jesus tells is coming from. Sorry, it's not massively big, that. Um, hopefully you can see it. So that's the context. But we also need to see um, what happens to Jesus and his disciples just one chapter earlier than this. 
In Luke 9, we read of an unwelcome reception of Jesus' disciples when they enter a Samaritan village. Here's the uh, passage, uh, Luke 9, verses 52 and 53. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Interesting, isn't it? That there's something in that about the fact that they didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem, the place where they would go to work, where he would go to worship, but they wouldn't. But don't forget that Jesus in this passage, if we look the next bit, which we haven't got, but um, he, he tells the disciples off for wanting to send fire down on the Samaritans. He said, don't do that. Because we know when we look in John's gospel that Jesus speaks to a Samaritan woman at the well. We know that in Acts we read that God sends the apostles to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We read in Acts 8 of Samaritans converted at Philip in Samaria um, after the disciples are scattered through persecution. So what we can see is that the Samaritans were, were enemies of the Jewish people. They believed different things. They were people who had mixed with others. And there were many other things that caused animosity between the two groups of people as well. And this is the one who Jesus describes as the good one, the one who helps his neighbor. I wonder who the Samaritan might be for you. Who's the person that you might think, they'll never help? Or who might you expect to stop and help, who might not? It's hard for us to imagine what that is like to think of uh, someone that we just can't imagine ever stopping to help. But when you have a group of people that you are enemies of in this way, it's a real shock to hear what goes on in this story. So let's look at this passage then. It begins with a question, doesn't it? It begins with a question from this expert in the law, which Jesus helps him to answer uh, with these two laws about loving God and loving his neighbor as himself. And then as, as the lawyer asks Jesus who his neighbor is, it's like he's asking, so who should I love then? It's that sort of sense. And so I want to ask a different question this evening, which I believe is how Jesus sort of answers this question. I want to ask the question, what does love look like? If it's about loving God and loving your neighbor, what does love look like? And I'm going to look at four different ways that we can see what love looks like through this passage. And through it, I'm going to tell you now, because I'm not going to do it quite in the right order, and because I know when people do four letters and it spells a word, they like to know what the, the word is first. So I'm going to use the word care, so you know, partly because I'm not going to do it in the right order. So I'm going to think about what love looks like. The first thing I want to say is that love is about attitude. That's not attitude in the sort of whatever way or anything like that. It's not that sort of, I can't believe I just did that, um, attitude. <laughs> it's, it's about motivation, isn't it? It's about what motivates us. Because we could ask, why did the priest and the Levite not help? 
Well, there's details in the passage that tell us why, actually. And that is that Jesus tells us that they're on their way down from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you know uh, the Holy Land at all, I was there in in, uh, May, um, you know that it's very steep downhill from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, They were going downhill for a long time. Jericho is the lowest city on earth. It's a long way down. But of course, the reason they're coming back from Jerusalem is probably that they're coming back from the temple. And that's important because that might give us a clue as to why they don't help. It may well be that they don't help because they don't want to. Of course, it might be that they want to help. But to help could have made them unclean. They would become ceremonially unclean if they touch a dead body. And they couldn't tell whether this man lying in this ditch was dead or not. So it was sort of a better safe than sorry. So what we could say is that their motivation, their attitude to keep walking is to keep in that holy state that they've reached from going to the temple. It's like they're they're almost too keen on keeping that rule that they fail to follow the call from God to love their neighbor. And that phrase isn't just... put in here in the New Testament. We can read it in Leviticus 19, verse 18, which says this, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Interesting, actually, when we think about this passage, it's like uh, Jesus is, is taking this further, because there in that passage you can see the neighbor is someone among your own people. But of course, we know that Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to anyone, not just those in the kingdom of Israel. We don't know much about this man who was lying half dead on the side of the road. He may well have been a Jewish man. And so he would have been a neighbor to the priest and the Levite if that was the case. But what we can see here is these uh, two uh, men this uh, priest and this Levite, well, they seem to be more bothered about uh, religious rules, ceremonial things, than the uh, love bit. We have a priest who would have been the religious elite. And we have a, a Levite who would still have been really important, probably someone who helped in the temple. But notice what they do. They don't just walk on by. They go to the other side of the road. You know, they kept well away I don't know whether this, uh, this helps you, but I, I, I remember during lockdown when we were in the pandemic and you were allowed out for your one walk a day and you'd walk along the road and then you'd see someone coming and you'd be like, what, what do we do? It was like, who's going to go first? It's like a game of chicken. And then one of you would cross to the other side of the road because you didn't want to go anywhere near the other person in case they thought you were less than two metres away or that you had something that they didn't want. All of those sort of things. It's a little bit like that. They're crossing to the other side of the road, sort of just to, to keep their distance, keeping themselves clean. But as Jesus shows us again and again in Luke, love is about our attitude. It's about coming near those different from ourselves, those we might call unclean, just as Jesus did with the leper, with the blind, with the woman who was bleeding, and so on and so on. 
But what's really interesting is that the audience that Jesus was speaking to here would probably expect the next person in this list that he goes on uh, of who would be coming past this man who was injured, they would expect the next person to come along to be someone less important in the Jewish world. But instead, they hear about a Samaritan. It's really hard for us to imagine just how shocking that would have been. Think of the person you would least imagine helping someone else and times that by 10. I can't imagine what that looks like, but that's the sort of level we're talking about here. But what we see in this parable is that the Good Samaritan helps. And he doesn't just help, he goes out of his way to help. His attitude is one of love, not trying to keep the rules. So love is about attitude. Next point, uh, love is responding to need. Seeing need is really important, isn't it? Um, this week, um, we've been, a couple of us have been on a, a learning community, and we've been thinking about mission. And one of the things we've been thinking about is the importance of seeing the need that others have, whether that's a practical need, whether that's a spiritual need. And actually speaking into people's need is a really good way of just beginning to help them to see Jesus. Look at verse uh, 33 of chapter 10. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, I have to admit, pity it's not the best translation in my mind, uh, because the Greek word is, and I'm going to try and pronounce this Greek word. Are you ready? Splagchnitsamai. I decided not to put that on the screen because I'm not sure I get the letters right, and spell check would struggle. That means to have compassion, splagchnitsnomai, or something like that anyway. Andy's not here to, to correct me. The Samaritan is moved with compassion. That is the same word as in Luke 7, 13, where Jesus has compassion on the widow's son um, but when he, before he raises him. It's the same word that we have in Luke 15, 20, where the father has the compassion on the prodigal son. It literally means his bowels were moved, not in any weird way. Um, it literally means he was moved in his gut. This is where people at the time thought that your, sort of, your love and your, your, your emotions came from. Isn't that amazing? That, that's the sense of it. It's not just, oh dear. It's a real sense of being moved. And what I love about Luke, actually, is the way he's so meticulous in his details. And because if you look at the Greek version of this text, what you discover is that the word compassion, well, the Greek word, which I'm not going to say again, is the literal turning point of this passage. This word is at the numerical center of this um, story that Jesus tells. Isn't that amazing? That just shows us just how carefully Luke has composed this gospel. But it shows that compassion is at the heart, right at the center of what Jesus is talking about here. So what we see is that this compassion the Samaritan feels is through seeing the need in this injured man. And isn't that a beautiful image of love? So love is about attitude. Love is about responding to need. Thirdly, love 
is costly. And for the Samaritan, it was costly in many ways. Let me just read you verse 34 and 35. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So helping this man was costly in a financial way. He gave the innkeeper the equivalent of about two days' wages. And also he offered to reimburse anything else that was spent. It was costly time-wise. He took him to the inn. Then he said he would return. And it's likely he didn't live locally. And of course, it was costly safety-wise as well. This Samaritan was not traveling in his own area. So even though he's in hostile territory, you know, the road between Jerusalem and Jericho is very hilly. It wouldn't have been Samaritan land. It was a dangerous place for him. And we know there are robbers around, yet he stops to help. Think about those times when you have felt you should have helped. I wonder what stopped you. Was it the costliness of it to yourself? Costly maybe in safety for yourself? Um, I remember quite a few years ago now when I lived in Manchester, I was walking at, um, home from somewhere and I saw this man running towards me followed by a policeman. And the policeman shouted, stop him! What do you do at that moment? I was like, I don't know what to do. Should I stick my leg out? I was worried that I was going to get injured or he'd run into me or he'd have a knife or a gun. Who knows? I was in Rush Home in Manchester, which isn't the safest place in the world. So I did nothing. Afterwards, I thought, I should have just stuck my leg out. But, you know, he might have broken it or something like that. I don't know. But I didn't do it. I looked at the cost before anything else. And the fact is, love is costly, isn't it? It demands of us. But it's so worth it because of the impact it can have on someone else. This man lying in the ditch probably had his life saved as a result of the costly love shown by this Samaritan. Thinking about our mission partners, they are showing costly love by moving to other parts of the world to help others. It means they're not near their human family or their church or their support network. It's costly financially, which is why it's great that we can give them money to support them in this gift day. Those of us who take on roles of ministry which involve moving, it's costly. Love is costly. And finally, love is expressing our response to God's love. This passage starts with how to get eternal life. And the lawyer wants to know what to do to get it. But of course, we know it's not about what we do, is it? It's all about love. It's all about the, the mercy, the grace that we find through God. It's about loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And the practical outworking of the Good Samaritan is to give others what we have received from Jesus. So it's not a legalistic thing that I must do, I mustn't, you know, must do certain things or fulfill certain criteria, which is sort of what the lawyer is asking here. But it's a call to follow God, to love him, 
and to love our neighbors as well. 1 John 4 verse 19 says this, we love because he first loved us. I love that. It goes on to talk more about how we, we love practically with those around us. But ultimately, it's through our relationship with God that our actions come. So Jesus, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, was telling the lawyer that loving your neighbor is about loving God, and the two are intertwined. This story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells us shows that it's love, costly love, a loving attitude, a loving response to need, and an expression of love for God that make amazing changes and transformations. And where do we see that most? Of course, we see that in Jesus. I don't think it's too far for us to see that it's like the Samaritan is taking the part of Jesus here. Um, Ian Paul, who's a a theologian, uh, writes this, we might want then to reflect further and understand theologically that beaten and bruised as we have been by sin, it is Jesus who has refused to pass by on the other side, but who has brought us help and healing by paying the price that was needed for us. I don't know whether you've ever seen the Good Samaritan as Jesus before, but it's beautiful. And of course, in Jesus, we see someone who has shown love in such a costly way on the cross, in his attitude to those who hated him, in who he associated with. You know, we know he ate with sinners and so on. It was shown in his compassion in responding to those in need. And of course, in how he came to express his love for us. The mercy and the grace we receive in Jesus demonstrate that love so beautifully. And so what can we do other than go and do likewise, as Jesus says right at the end of this passage, to go and show love and mercy? just want to read um, the bridge of the song we sang at the start of this evening's service. It says this, Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. Those words really sum up how we can respond to this reading, to this story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. So let's pray, and let's pray those words. Can we just have those words back up on the screen, please? That would be really helpful. Thank you. You might just want to read those words and use them as a response this evening. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in you we see someone who 
brings a costly love. Whose attitude was always for us. Who responds to our need. Who showed so beautifully love for us on the cross. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. And we ask that you would help us to love like you do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing once more, so can I invite the band to come up? And we're going to sing a beautiful song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, which gives us an opportunity to just gaze on the cross, on the costly nature of the cross, on the love that we see on the cross. So I encourage you to stand. Um, some of you may want to sit. That's absolutely fine. Do whatever feels appropriate for you. And uh, let's uh, sing this song. Of course, the final verse has that uh, beautiful words about re responding to all that Jesus has done for us. Let's sing. <laughs>